<laughs> Welcome back to the Odd Pearl Podcast. Here on Pearl Lane. I'm here with the usual bunch, including Sweet Tea. Um, and we're we're excited might be an understatement for what you can feel. It's palpable right now, I would say. We were just on Franklin Street a little while back, earlier in the day, and someone made the remark that they don't think that Franklin Street will ever have a crazier atmosphere than tomorrow mm-hmm. come about 9 p.m. when things really start to go down. Um, and so I think, I guess the, the way to start is to ask, wh- what are the vibes around Chapel Hill right now? What are we picking up on? I know for a fact that this game, I think this game, I think the student body understands, but I think for a person that's maybe not here, just to give an idea, I went to Alpine Bagel like yesterday, which is like obviously one of the restaurants on campus. And the game is so far reaching that the two employees there, before they even started making my order, we just had a dialogue about the game on Saturday. And he was talking, the guy that was helping me was talking to his other employees in the back. They're putting money on the game. Like this is something that people are taking off work for. So they're working extra days during the week. Obviously, the gravity of this game and the implications, in my opinion, this, you know, potentially make this one of the greatest, uh, you know, college basketball games ever. And on this campus right now, I think I've sensed more confidence than anything, but at the same time, I know it's probably like a a nervous undertone, too. Like, we don't want to be overly confident like some other teams have in this tournament and have, you know, have gotten upset as a result. But, you know, we still are confident enough where we think we could pull it out and send Coach K home. So, um, I don't know. It's been, it's, there's been no better place to be this week on this campus, uh, mm. from what you know, based off what I heard. It is shocking to feel like people are zeroing in on this, like on like a ten mile radius right now. Like it's interesting that it's being the game's being played in, in in New Orleans, obviously. But I feel like everything I see on ESPN, everyone in the nation is focusing in on this rivalry, um, and that obviously with it being the first of its kind to happen in the tournament is a very exciting. And big deal. Um, I want to talk about or ask y'all what we thought about the road to where we've gotten now. Um, and and before we do that, we might want to jump in and talk about the the Elite Eight games um, that gave us the matchups we had. Um, what what do y'all's take away from the from the Elite Eight? I'm sorry. <laughs> there is a. A spider hunting down a, a inchworm over here. I, I, I saw your <laughs> on the reaction. Railing, and, and I it's was... terrifying. Yeah, well, look how fast the inchworm's moving. Yeah, the inchworm knows something's going on. Do you see the spider Dude, like the spider hanging out right the there? Scent, I think. Yeah, the yeah. spider. Um, my laugh may have confused him. Dude, the inchworm is hustling. I've never I've seen. I've never seen an inchworm move, move that, that fast. fast. <laughs> He's trying to get out of there. He's booking it. Come on, inchworm, you got this, bro. Go, go, go. You got this. I think the spider's like. Super lost. Yeah, yeah. So we're probably really yeah. Confused. We definitely distracted him too. There we go. I just, blew, I just blew on him, and now he's turned around. Okay, I think we I think we saved him. I think yeah, All that right. one's good. Wait, was was the spider like on his tail, like about to hop yeah, on? Yeah, he was getting pretty close, dude. I saw them like going in. When one went around the keys. Oh wait, he's going back around the keys. Oh, oh. He's on the scent again. Okay, the inchworm you can, you can't see him, but he's literally right on the edge. Each one just wanted to listen to the podcast. Oh, no. Oh, he's actually oh, no. Closer. Yes. Oh, okay, 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 okay. I think we're good. Thank you, Should I try to save the inchworm? Should I move him? 
<laughs> I don't know. I think you don't want to interfere with nature. That inchworm was booking it. I think he might got it, dude. I think he's he got it. We'll, we'll go National Geographic. Just observe. Yeah. Just yeah. allow it to happen. Anyways, so the elite. What's the metaphor for that right there? <laughs> Who's you? You? I think UNC. Duke is the inchworm trying to run. Yeah, run away from UNC. Yeah, I, the I think UNC's the spider trying to track down. It's hot on the scent to try to track down Coach K and the, and the Duke Blue Devils. Yeah. Um, that's all I got for doing by way of a transition. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my best shot. I took a stab at it. What uh, Turner? Since you. Since you were affected, I literally thought someone was breaking into your car. The way you were looking at me, you were looking past me over my shoulder towards the direction of your car. I was really concerned. Um, but what are your reactions to the Elite Eight game? What, what, who, who do, what are your takeaways from that round? It went exactly as I expected for Carolina. I thought, I thought we were going to have control of that game. Um, and, and I didn't think that we were going to underestimate St. Peter's. I felt like all the other teams St. Peter's caught on their run were not playing the best basketball of their season. So Kentucky and Purdue, they they weren't playing their best basketball at this point in March. Kentucky hasn't been shooting the three well, you know, when when they played St. Peter's in the first round. Purdue just hadn't really, like, hit its peak either. They'd kind of had some shooting problems too, like Stefanovic hasn't been as good lately. Um, so I, I just didn't feel like they were getting those teams at their best. And, and Carolina, undoubtedly, is playing its best basketball of the, the season. So in that regard, the game kind of went as I anticipated because especially with our advantage of Armando Baycott inside, St. Peter's, I felt like, just didn't have the size to keep up with us. And, and you know, that, that kind of went how I saw it going. Um, Duke... Do, do, you, do you just want to hone in on the kind of UNC Elite Eight game? Well, I, do you have a reaction too? from any of the Elite Eight games? I think now is the time. If any of y'all thought there was something yeah. worth discussing. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll quickly follow suit on the UNC game, but that I, I did have some thoughts, uh, you know, specifically on the other side of the bracket, uh, the games that kind of paved the way for a Villanova-Kansas matchup. But first with the, with the UNC-St. Peter's game, I think we did a good job of not – practicing like oversight and I know we've said this word so many times in the past couple weeks but that is what this tournament is about because it disposes of any sort of certainty with projections and you know obviously at this point probably the median bracket accuracy percentage is probably 55 (laughs) percent yeah you know and maybe even the highest is 55 (laughs) percent nobody's checking that app anymore so that should tell you you know where we are in terms of that um and I, I I think I think we kind of we were introduced to the type of game that that was going to be against St. Peter's, I think, early on. Because when we got up to a like a, a 7-0 run, like in the first you know three to four minutes of the game, that was immediately the largest deficit that mm-hmm. St. Peter's had faced throughout the duration of that tournament. And like you said, you know, Turner and Isaac, you guys are referencing their previous opponents. You've played a Kentucky, you've played a Purdue, um, you know, uh, Murray State, although not you know maybe on that you know at that same point in the threshold as. Purdue and Kentucky still in their own right as far as their program's concerned one of their all-time best seasons you know 30 and 2 so you're putting away teams you know uh, you know the, the the company of the teams that you've beaten you know they're very they're fairly good teams um so you know when you come in and having played all those teams against UNC that's the first team that's put you down by your largest deficit I think that kind of let us know uh what type of game that was going to be I think St. Peter's is also an exceptionally good off-ball team offensively and when you when you take that away, you know, typically teams with a smaller unit, you know, try to just outrun you or move quicker than you because that's just the physical advantage that you have in that case. 
But if every backdoor cut and backdoor pass is met with a double team, you know, it makes it super hard for you to get your offense going off the easy stuff. Um, and I think that's that's um, that's how they got a lot of their buckets. They closed their game out against Kentucky with a series of backdoor cuts. That's how they forced overtime. It's like, get, you know, getting the easy stuff inside. You don't allow that to happen. St. Peter's isn't an exceptional three-point shooting team, so we kind of pushed them into a, you know, to an, an, an area of offense that they weren't necessarily comfortable with. So I'm glad that we were able to move on from that game without, you know, any true surprises. And, of course, Armando Baycott, like another exceptional game with 20 and 22. Yeah. Didn't he? That, that tied him with, was it Tim Duncan for the most double-doubles yeah. in a season yeah. by an ACC player? I mean, talk and about And you wonder, I mean, how can he not get it again? I mean, it's it's been such a – even with – uh, the size. I'm, his, his name's escaping me. The center for Duke that's been incredible. Mark Williams. Mark Williams, yeah. man. I mean, from a physicality standpoint, you would think Baycott would have trouble, but I see him getting another double double in this game, regardless of what happens and breaking that record. No doubt, because he had, didn't he? He had ten rebounds at the half against yeah. the Peters. I'm like, man, I'm like, you know, I think it was more than that. Yeah, Maybe. Than that. I mean, ten minimum. And I know that Duke obviously has more physically imposing big men that he'll match up against, but it's not like he hasn't matched up with that center twice. And it's not like he hasn't matched up with premier centers throughout the season and still has managed to, you know, to grab to grab those rebounds. Also, one thing I want to add about that game, because everybody tries to put a face on March Madness every year, whether it's a Cinderella team or a Cinderella player. We put Leaky Black on Doug Eater, and this man did not make a single field goal the entire game. Yep. His only two points came off free throws, and he went 0-5 from the field and 0-3 from three-point range. So the face of March Madness, I know America says we don't like to have fun because we took the Cinderella team out. <laughs> but I honestly couldn't care less because if they could have been on the other side of the bracket, I'm sure we still would have been rooting for them at this point. Yeah. But anybody that's going to run into us, you know, that we, you know, we're not in the storybook endings for anybody other than ourselves. So, man, yeah. and what I thought was so telling was that coach Davis in his post-game interview after the UCLA game, he said we're going to have the toughest toughest challenge of our season coming up next about the St. Peter's game. Yeah. Now talk about someone that's preparing his team yeah. and not letting oversight factor in. He's saying we're going to have the toughest test of our season up next. And I really think he believed that. I don't think he was just saying that as a strategy. I think that's the way he really philosophically approached that game. And it totally – it just – it completely showed. Um, and the ways the, the, play, the players carry themselves, it feels so hard to pick against UNC right now or at least, to, to, at the very least, to say that they're going to get blown out by anyone in the country right now, just because it someone has stepped up um, every game, and there's always they all like going into that gym, and it could be any one of them um, on any given night. Yeah. Uh, and so the chances of you drawing a dud from f all four of our scores, pretty low, I'd say. Yeah, um, I think we had three guys. It was either for the Elite Eight or the round of 16, but we had three guys make the All-Sweet 16 or All-Elite 18 that they put three in, three of our starters. And honestly, you could argue with the way that we've been playing, you could have put all five of those guys on that yeah. team. And, you know, I don't think anybody would have, would have argued with you. But it still frustrates you when you hear things like Jay Bylas, like analysts like that, still say that they think, you know, of the four teams remaining, that there are other teams other than North Carolina that have had collectively a better tournament. And that's, that's hard for me to process because I'm like, well – you know, judging by where Carolina started as an eight seed and the path that they've had to take in taking out a one and taking out a tough UCLA squad, you know, you kind of wonder why, you know, uh, they don't they don't get that sort of deserved attention from the media. But then it's like, but then you kind of do a spin and a turnaround. And you realize that maybe the oversight on UNC is what's gotten them this far and their humility, you know, and the lack of outside extracurricular noise. It's kind of what's been kept them, you know, it's, it's what's kept them locked in. 
So as far as I'm concerned, if you know, analysts or other teams alike want to continue to write Carolina off, that's just going to continue to contribute to our success um, to our to our hopeful win on Saturday. Man, well then looking ahead to this matchup, what are the things that we're looking out for? Um, we'll get to predictions at the end, but in terms of this matchup against Duke, where are we? Where would UNC be favored, and where would they uh, be seen as the weaker opponent? Um, I think the the biggest key is depth. Um, depth is something that you know I think people usually put a lot of emphasis on uh, you know considering it's a such a high stakes tournament every game is so important and if you don't have a lot of depth you know you have one key player get in foul trouble and that could be the end of your your season but out of these final four teams it's really interesting depth is really overrated this year Carolina plays its five guys five starters you know at all of them get 30 plus minutes and then you've got Dontrez Styles filling in the gaps and Puff Johnson filling in the gaps a little bit. Villanova's kind of the same way. Villanova had played six guys and one of those their key players had that Achilles injury. Yeah, so now they're down to five guys, but they've made it this far. They've beaten a lot of really quality teams with that smaller lineup. Um, Kansas doesn't play that many guys either. They they have a, probably the most depth out of the, the teams remaining, I guess Kansas and Duke are a little more similar um, and, and have a little more depth than UNC and Villanova, but still, when you look at like a team like Houston, um, you know, there's they're not similar at all. and They have their kind of starting core and maybe two other guys who get more rotational minutes. I think Duke is kind of that way. They have like their starters, and then maybe Trevor Keels coming off the bench, and, and Theo John, and that's about it. Um, and maybe Theo John even count. Too. Yeah, and they, <laughs> they they throw Joey Baker some minutes too, yeah. but but it's not much. Like depth all around isn't a big deal um, in this tournament, which is just really interesting. Kind of runs contrary to what what you would expect in a tournament like this. Um, so in regards to that depth, I would say the one the one problem that UNC has is. Uh, Armando Baycott can't get in foul trouble early. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing. If if Armando gets in foul trouble early, it's going to be a tough, little bit of an uphill battle for UNC. Um, and that's not to say that Carolina couldn't still win the game because Dontrez Styles has really come in, and you could have some good small ball minutes from Dontrez and, and with Brady Manick at the five and just that that small ball super like hyper movement focused and a lot of three-point shots going up but like UNC's at their best when Armando Baycott's in the game and can guard Mark Williams so I would say that's the biggest key for UNC is just keeping Armando out of foul trouble because if if Armando doesn't have two three fouls in the first half then UNC has a huge advantage in the center department I mean I don't think you can argue that Mark Williams has any sort of uh, skill advantage, or even really a, like a rebounding advantage over Armando. Mm-hmm. He's kind of kind of shown him who's boss in the previous two matchups. I will say, um, I was looking up Armando Baycott stats. I'm specifically seeing how he matched up with Mark Williams in the last Duke game, and I know in the first Duke game, Arm- um, obviously due to foul trouble, mm-hmm. um, plus just us going in unprepared, unprepared for that yeah. game. Um, we were 
very much um, lacking in terms of also just chemistry. Our chemistry back then still was like a work in progress, especially since we only lost Darcy Garcia like a couple weeks beforehand. Yeah. Um, so they obviously got the better of us um, during that game. But in our second game, when we had finally started gel as like a five, six-man unit, um, Armando Baycott scored 23 on Mark Williams and went 10 for 11. Mm, like, shot 90% from the field, and he made free throws, which is also a very yeah. big plus. Um, yeah, free throws but, uh, are going to be key. Free throws knows. will definitely be key for this game. But he like he's already proven that he can take it to Mark Williams and and physically outman him and, and use his skills as a really, like, defined post player. Like, Armando has a really nice, like, close post game. Like, he knows how to move his feet, how to use his, um, you know, his weight and his pivot foot to his advantage. He knows how to switch hands. He's really good at um, using different parts of the glass when he has tougher angles. He's, so he, he's got that reverse layup. Man. He's got a really clean the reverse spin too. Into the reverse yes, is a exactly. Great move. So he so he knows how to use um, his size to his advantage, and I think that'll work out against Mark Williams. Even though, you know, don't get me wrong, Mark Williams won AC Defensive Player of the Year and is an absolute stud he's of a, a guy um, in the paint when it comes to defense and um, offensively. He's been showing out in this tournament, but I do think Armando um, has proven that he can take it to Mark Williams and to centers who are bigger than him or just as good and um, win in those matchups. I also, I'd say a matchup that is really key for us is uh, RJ Davis versus Jeremy Roach. Jeremy Roach has, might be the best Duke player right now in terms of how clutch he's been playing. Um, I've been most impressed with him when I've watched the Duke games um, throughout this tournament. Um, Just due to the fact that he struggled last year, very, very much struggled. had a very very down year as a player as a whole um and didn't start this year off well either like he like when we played them um in both games he was essentially a non-factor he did nothing in those two race season games the first game i think he he did do a really good job like pressuring the ball because caleb and rj just looked really out of sorts yeah and and they turned the ball over a lot the first game but he didn't really do anything offensively Offensively. and he's he's turned that up and defensively defensively he's um, you know, kept that up or even turned up his defensive efficiency and, um, you know, play capability. So I think it's going to be huge. R.J. Davis obviously isn't um, the greatest defender. He does struggle, um, you know, with being able to guard guys that are bigger and stronger than him. But Jerry Roach is his size. So I think this will be huge. Can R.J. Davis be able to cut off lanes, be able to use his body, um, you know, in an advantage to push Jeremy Roach off his bounce, push him out of his preferred um, attacking position, you know. You know, can he... Uh, get his arms out where he can help block passing lanes and whatnot. I think that'll be huge. And then the final matchup I have is Brady Manick and whoever he guards. If Brady Manick can play, like, good defense, good or okay, <laughs> that's huge. Because he will carry on the offensive end. He will make threes. And we need him to do that. But, for instance, if he's playing Paulo, if he can at least get some stops and play better defense against Paulo than he did in the last game, awesome. That would be amazing. And I think that'll be key I mean, critical. And then with Caleb, you know, just pray we have UCLA Caleb. And um, he needs to wear those exact same shoes. Yes, he needs to wear those exact same shoes. And then the second half shoes. And then Leaky, whether we put Leaky on Paulo or AJ, just you know, trust that his defense will really come up clutch. That is the those, nice uh, thing, like in game scenarios. You have to think like, oh well, we don't have to worry about AJ Griffin at all. A projected lottery pick because Leaky's gonna lock yeah. him down. Like we know Leaky's gonna lock him Which down. Which is so dumb that Leaky doesn't even a- at least have like some NBA interest coming from a defensive standpoint. Like, oh yes, this guy may not have a great offensive game, but if we can develop his shot even a little bit, like you look at Theo Pinson, 
Theo Pinson did not have a good shot coming out of college at all. He Dude. shot he shot like high twenties, so very very low thirties. Tony three. Allen, man. Tony yes. Allen was a brick from anywhere on the court. And you go to the NBA, and now those guys are shooting mid thirties, high thirties, because it it forces you to get good at that. And I think the same thing can happen with Fleeky. They can tweak, uh, just tweak his shot form a little bit, fix that up. You know, make sure he has he plays with more confidence and just with a greater understanding of hey, I'm long, I have the ability to get past guys and to use my physical strengths um, to my advantage on the offensive end. But he already has the defensive tangibles. That's hard. You can't really teach that in the NBA, especially since the NBA is not a defensive um, game anymore. Which is a shame. And he takes yes. pride in it. And he, he takes pride in it. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, he could he could totally be the next Draymond. Yeah. In terms of a guy who can. Reminds me of like. For me, the one guy I always come back to is Dorian Finney-Smith on the Mavericks. Like, their bodies look very similar, like, super long arms, like, kind of like, not a super thick frame, but just, like, like, just super athletic and, like, quick, twitchy movements and, like, really good yeah. hands. Like, they remind me of each other. And Finney-Smith was, like, a project when he came in the league. He was better offensively than Leaky because I, I, like, looked into this because he reminded me so much of him. Like, he was better defensively. I think he went to Texas A&M. Or, sorry, he was better offensively. I misspoke. He, he, I think he averaged over, like, 10 points a game or something. Mm-hmm. But still, he wasn't a great shooter until he got in the league, like, volume-wise. And I just... Leaky should get a chance in the NBA. Yes, like, he, he could definitely make it, I think. And that's why I bring up the Draymond uh, comparison. Not because he has similar body types or similar play style. Because Draymond's definitely more of a post guy and yeah. uses his body... Um, you know, as kind of like a bowling ball. Like, he, he's able to really move guys in the paint. Even though he's small for power forward, like 6'7", he can move guys and really, you know, has a really strong, you know, big muscular build and can really, you know, you know, assert that dominance on, you know, a lot more, a lot skinnier um, players. And I feel like that's the trend in the NBA is guys that are a lot leaner who can move faster and shoot, you know, shoot better from the perimeter but aren't as strong in the paint. And that serves Draymond well. But, but that's why I say Leaky's like him in the sense that he's – great at finding the open passing lane, a great dish guy, and can just guard like one through four. Can guard almost every single position. And that's, I, I think I think scouts should see that and be like, hey, this guy could be a really key reserve tool you yeah. know, for our team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think that's interesting. He brought up the, the passing aspect too. Like, I, you know, there, there's a, there are a lot of things that get overlooked with, with Leaky Black because it's almost like, it's almost like a lockdown corner in the NFL. Like, you know, it, it's more fair to evaluate them off of how quiet their side is in interceptions because if you don't hear much about them, that probably means they're doing their job. So it's like when Leaky takes somebody out of the game, it becomes four-on-four basketball, and you're not occupied with thinking about what he's doing. And you maybe, you know, as a consequence, you overlook what he he can do for the team on a a side of the ball, not name the defensive end. There were a lot of episodes in that St. Peter's game where, you know, he would draw in some traffic as he would drive in and he would, you know, he would seamlessly and easily find somebody. I think he had four or five assists in the game. You know, he matched his points with assists, so, you know, that kind of balance, like that 5-4-5, five, five, that, that is a Draymond stat line. So, you know, that kind of, that, that's why that comparison is evoked when you look at those two guys. It's like, defensively, you're not even looking at them because you trust them enough where you know nothing's going to happen over there. And then offensively, you trust them enough, you know, if need be, to take the ball up and facilitate because they're capable of doing those things. And I think it definitely is a shame, to your point about the interest he's garnered, it is a shame that defense is not as emphasized as it should be or at least appreciated as it should be in the, in the NBA because if it was, then Leaky Black would be, you know, on the pro level, he would we, his name would come up a lot more in, yeah. in conversation. Maybe if he was in a different era. I yeah. think, you know, if he was coming around 10 years ago, Dude, he would have been first maybe 15 draft years ago, I think he absolutely would be looked at a yeah. lot. 
closer. Yeah. yeah. Um, man, I just worry about being able to stay in front of these Duke players on the perimeter because you know they are going to want to drive in because they want to put pressure on Baycott to foul. And the thing is, I think Baycott is going to be very aware of that. I don't think he's going to come in with any sort of like misunderstanding about what the game plan is going to be yeah. for him. And so he's probably – I'm worried that he's going to be very conservative playing defense on these drive-ins. I'm worried that the paint's going to be more open than normal because if really, really and truly, if, if Baycott gets in foul trouble, I don't see how he win this game. I, I really have trouble seeing it because I, I saw the way that Manic played Bancaro. And, yes, in the second half, Bancaro went cold. But he put Manic on like on skates, like every felt like every time he got the ball. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I, you know, I really I worry about um, man how RJ plays on the perimeter um, defensively, and I worry about Manic. Manic is you if you look a lot of the times he's forced to come and close out from and three. He's so slow and to he, close out. You can, you, he cannot stay in front of his man, and that's what I'm worried about. Is I think Manic on defense is the piece I'm most concerned for. I think a way that UNC can avoid that foul trouble too, though, for Baycott, is just getting a fast start shooting the three. Because if we come out and Caleb Love and RJ and Brady are firing and making threes, Duke is going to be forced to take more jump shots no to keep and, up. And they're, and they're going to be forced to play at a faster pace. And, and that's, that's going to play style. It's not their play style, and it's also going to keep them out of the paint more. If they start having to, you know, shoot threes to stay in it, it just they get in that headspace where, you know, we don't want to get this this game to get away from us early because you know the crowd and everything like they don't want to lose that too much momentum. Um, that could be a big deal because, you know, all it takes is Caleb Love to see one go in, and Carolina could get super hot at the beginning of the game, and and I I, I don't know I, I I could see that being a huge advantage. Not just, you know, to have a quick early lead, build that confidence, but in terms of Baycott staying out of foul trouble. No, I, I was just going to say quickly, yeah, no, I think that's a great point because, you know, Duke mixes zone and man at times, and obviously the best way to be the zone or at least make a defense, man or zone, you make a defense reconsider what they're running if you can shoot the three. Caleb Love is pulling from 35 feet and hitting shots consistently. It doesn't matter if you're in a 2-3, two, 3-2, three, three, two, tight man-to-man. Like, you know, you start to get in your own head defensively, and that frustration kind of boils over into your offensive decision making. And like you said, Turner, it was a great point. You know, if you're being, and Corbin noted as well, is like if you're forced to play outside of a pace that you're comfortable with and you start taking shots that you regularly don't take, you know, the hole only gets deeper. And then you're, as the focus for UNC, can shift to clock management. Because if you get up by enough points and, you know, you control the pacing of the game, you could run the whole, you could pull a Villanova and shoot all your shots in the last, in the last 10 seconds of the shot clock because that's what Villanova loves to do. You do that, it's like a run. It's like a good run game in football. It's like you bleed out the clock. You're not there for anything more than to win the game, even if the stats don't look pretty. And then you get out of there. So, um, yeah, no, that'll that'll for sure be important. Man, UNC, I would say, they're one win away from feeling like the most confident team in college basketball. I really don't see a, this UNC group, the experience they already have, with how they've come into their own. If they come away with a win on Saturday night, I feel like they should be favored to win the championship. Um, I think they've had a way harder route. They've yeah. they've played well throughout the tournament, and they've played. I mean, look, UCLA man hitting the shots they were hitting. I, I don't know if you could have faced a, a bigger challenge in this tournament so You're far. A Final Four team, yeah, honestly, hundred percent. Oh, UCLA 
if they had matched up with Duke, I think would probably would be easily more favored mm. um, to win that game than we are. Yeah. Um, in terms of just you know being given a chance, and yeah. I also think they would have they wouldn't be the weakest team in this field. They would be probably top two. I'd say they'd be stronger than Nova, even a healthy Villanova, and um, you know maybe not Kansas, but they'd also they would easily be up there with Duke. Um, that that was our best win in the tournament. Yeah, and, and one seeds just naturally do get an easier run in the tournament, which, by the way, that the seeds break down, right? Yeah. Like your matchups are going to be a little easier. Um, so I think before we move on to our final segment, which is predictions for this game, we got to shout out our sponsors. Uh, today we're sponsored by the Jawan Howard and Will Smith pay-per-view fight. <laughs> <laughs> oh so, coming soon to the home box office. Um, you can pay $60 to see them go at it. Uh, I hear that Will Smith's slap technique is really... He's, he's put a lot of practice in, I've heard. That's why I'm putting my money on Jawan, though. If he couldn't knock over Chris Rock, there's no I way he's mean, knocking over Jawan. And I don't even know what Chris Rock was going to say, man. But did y'all notice that when he goes, I could? He, he, yeah, when yeah. After he got to his man, I could. And then he cuts himself yeah. off. I wonder what he was going to say. I feel like it was going to be something really cool. It's Hall of Fame level restraint, right? There. I agree, I don't dude. know how he did it. It's I I kind of Jawan Howard. I don't know. People have said he kind of looks a little bit like Will Smith, so it's funny you brought that up. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Will Smith was in Gemini, yeah. where he's like he fights a younger version, CGI version of himself, like in the movie. That's what that remind me of, like <laughs> that movie. It's like you have somebody like two people that kind of look like each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah Not yeah. even boxing it out, slapping it out clearly. Dude. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's too funny, bro. <laughs> that's too funny. Now Chris Rock showed levels of restraint that I don't know I, I don't know if I could. Well, who's winning the pay-per-view fight? Real quick before we get our other predictions. We're talking Will Smith versus Jawan Howard. Like I, like I said, Will Smith couldn't knock over Chris Rock, and Chris Rock ate that thing. Like He was, did, bro. Like it was Chris cake, Rock bro. Chris Rock ate that, bro. Jawan Howard is And Jawan Howard six eight six nine. His reach, reach advantage, man? It's yeah. stupid. He I could, think I gotta go Jawan Howard. I yeah, think he just same. convinced me. Yeah, I mean, unless Will Smith pulls up in his Deadshot costume, I'd probably have to <laughs> Yeah. All right, well, glad we got that one settled. Um, now for the final segment, I want to go around and hear predictions. I want to hear who's going to win this game, what's the score going to be, and why. What's the deciding factor? Obviously, there are plenty of factors out there, but what's the deciding one? Uh, I can go first. There's absolutely zero chance that I'm going to say that. Duke has any shot of winning this game. Is that the word? <laughs> and, and that's a D O O K, not a D O O. Yes. Whatever. Uh, Carolina's going to probably win by about 45 points. <laughs> um, probably about like 120 to 75 is what I'm thinking. And, uh, uh, okay, but, but realistically, dude, I think Brady Manick is going to make like eight three pointers. And really? I, I think that this is just going to be, like, just the nastiest win. Like, I think we're going to – I think we're going to make shots, and I think we're going to rub it in their face. And I think the celebration after this game is just going to be legendary. I, I, I just think we're going to out – outrun them like I think we're going to outpace them we're going to outrun them we're going to make more threes than they do they're not a great three point shooting team they're not I think we're just going to ideally I think we're going to beat them by about like 10-12 points we're going to be in the like mid upper 80s and I just think the way we're playing right now 
the way we're shooting the ball, the how confident every player on our team is right now. I just, I think we're going to drop some serious buckets on their head and we're going to be parading up and down the court. Three goggles all game long. Brady Mayett's going to be talking some smack to Bancaro, putting him in his place. And Duke is just going to have to look forward to the NBA draft because that's all they're going to have left. Come wow. on. Learned his mistake from like podcast episode one, like for the second match, yeah, yeah, when you yeah. pick Duke. It's like, I'm glad yeah. you've had a revelation. You know, that, that was a different person, and I don't like that guy. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy ever again. Um, yeah, I think we're going to beat them by more than people expect. I put eight on there. I'm saying 75, 83. Should be specific. Um, but I could easily see us beating them by more than 10, and I think it's going to be one of those things where we're going to hit shots. And then they're going to kind of fall out of their game. And I think it's going to be close, and then we're going to make a late run like we did in the last game. It was close, and then we kind of pushed off late. Um, I do think Manic's going to be hot. And Caleb, I who knows. But um, yeah. I think Manic's so consistent. He's going to do great. And I think RJ Davis is going to step it up. Because he hasn't been having he hasn't had a good tournament. Um, since the Baylor since game. Since the Baylor game. Which no. was an iconic Which was an UNC iconic performance. Yes. Yeah. But I think he's going he's gonna to step it up because, gosh, he played, his, in my opinion, the best game of his season against Duke in that last game. Oh, yeah, dude. I, I thought he was the best pl- player on the floor, um, Duke or UNC, in that game. So I think he's. I think he could, like, super step it up um, and really just help us get that dub. But I do think we're going to win, and, um, yeah, we'll just catch all the Duke guys, like, morning on Bourbon Street afterwards, which will be glorious. Field trip to their mm-hmm. campus, see how dead it is, dressing all black. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Post-game plans. No, I, I – um, because I'm assuming as we sit here and joke, I know Hubert, they're expressing way more humility than us. We just want to see a blowout. <laughs> Realistically, I would have I have to give Duke there no there's no version of this where I say they win, but I do have to give them enough respect to say that this game will certainly be close. Um you know, I would have to imagine like a 95 to 85 or like a 95 to 85, 90 to 85 type of range. I think we score 90 or higher and maybe they're four or five points behind and we wind up winning. Um we're averaging over 90 points for the tournament. UCLA in the Sweet 16 round, that was supposed to be the UNC stopper team because they were only allowing and conceding 55 points a game. Mm-hmm. We, we we overrode that obstacle. I don't think I, – I don't believe that Duke has any better chance than UCLA did at holding us under that average that we sit at. Uh, Brady Manick is averaging the most points per game out of any remaining player on any four on, on any four remaining teams. He's averaging over 21, which is just incredible. Um, you know, in, in, a, in a tournament like this where you would think with the mounting pressure – you know, some players would play a little bit uncomfortably. You know, it the, the gravity of the moment's never gotten to Brady, and I expect us to just hit more tougher shots than they. And that's ultimately what's going to come down to. You're gonna you're gonna face your best defensive version of Duke on Saturday because of because of what's at stake. Um, so it's just going to be whoever hits the, whoever hits the toughest shots wins. Right? We're going to need at least, like Turner said, eight would be amazing. But like even like three to four tough contested top of the key threes. You know, is something that's enough to psychologically alter, you know, the way Duke thinks. Um, you know, I think I think we get out and push the pace. Uh, I think we I think we establish the paint as ours, both offensively and defensively. And if we're able to remain on the positive side of all those key matchups that we outlined earlier, which you know, keeping guys out of foul trouble, hitting shots early, you know, uh, if you know, Hubert will play the starters for 38 minutes if, oh, yeah. if it ensures a victory. And I think these players are treating every game like their last, so they're not worried about any sort of load management principle that you would imagine would come and play here, you know, because of the mileage uh, of the season. So I have us winning by 
minimum, like, mat, I'd say between five and ten points. So I would say like 95 to 85 would be my would be my prediction. I think Man, they come out on top. I think this game, I, I agree with y'all, I think this game um, comes down to mentality. I really do. I think when you're playing on this stage, in one sense, it doesn't matter how many times you've been, how, how long you've been in the NCAA or, or what year you are in, in school, this is something that's new to all of these guys. Um, but that's where I think you look at which team has faced more trials? Which team has overcome more together? I don't see Duke as having faced that much of a trial other than the loss to UNC. So did that bond them together? Sure. But I look at this this team that that, that Davis that that Hubert is fielding, and I think that yes, you have the core five, and they're clearly the most skilled five on the team. But I think there's also an advantage that comes with playing that many minutes together over a whole season. For sure, right? Those guys know each other better than the Duke team knows knows themselves. So I actually am going to go the inverse of Corbin and say I think Duke comes out hot, and when we stick around, that's going to start to get under their skin. Because we've got too much experience, we've got too much self-knowledge and knowledge of, of each other in the team. I think we'll stick around no matter what in this game. I see. I think there's no. I think the least likely scenario is Duke blows out UNC. Um, and so for me, I think second half comes out, comes around. Caleb Love starts hitting shots. Um, similar vibe to the UCLA game. Dude, put, if he drops 27 in that second half, oh, oh yeah. he'll be immortalized yes. on this yeah. campus. I would, like an erected statue. Yeah. Yeah. Like Absolutely. immediately outside the Dean's I'm going to say 85-78 oh. UNC goes on a run oh, in the yeah. second, in the like second half the with about 10 minutes left, and Duke can't, Duke can't come back from it, man. They Love don't know it. how to rally like we do. Love it. No, I think it's a great point, and as, as much as <laughs> – I will add that as much as Duke thinks they're playing for in terms of, like, coaching, like, you know, the Coach K's last game, you know, you don't want to send them out on it. Yeah, at an, at an on an unsavory end. I think UNC has just as much, if not more, to draw from in terms of them playing for their coach. I think Hubert Davis, in terms of who I follow closely at the coaching position in these last few years, one of the most selfless coaches ever. Absolutely. I, I, and I know Coach K, the people would cite – Oh, but Coach K showed humility in their last game. They were calling him the GOAT, and he was telling his players, no, no, I'm not the GOAT. Yeah, okay, I'm sure Coach K has had enough time to reflect and express gratitude, and I know, I know he's humble as well. But when Hubert, for example, after that St. Peter's game, is just repeating over and over how, how happy he is for them, like as for the, you know, in terms of them meaning the team, he said, I just desperately wanted this for them. It has nothing to do with coaching. It's all about them. And he basically was thankful, you know, super thankful for how the players allowed him to come into their lives. It's like he's the one that's humbling himself. He's at a higher position on the team at, you know, at, in terms of authority. He's the head coach. They yield to him. But he's he's humble enough to actually inverse the roles and say, no, I'm doing this for them. It's like I'm submitting to them and humbly asking them to allow me to come into their lives. So as much as you want to say, like we said, all the way back in the first episode, the pageantry with Coach K's last game and you know all the all the theatrics and implications with that. I think inside both teams' locker rooms, they both. It's not like UNC is coming in with nothing to play for their, for their coach either. They'll both draw from that. Both teams have a reason. But as far as selflessness goes, I've I've never seen it as as forthrightly expressed as I have with Hubert Davis. It makes me so happy when they win games and he gets so emotional. And it's like, you know, to your point about us hanging around. There, there's no there. I don't imagine a Jimmy Butler, Eric Spolstra sideline outburst mm. with this team. That's just mm. not what happened. That's just I could not imagine that um, because of the mileage that they've got that, that, that this unit has has, has played uh, together um, and all the things that they've gone through. 
to your adversity point, no. There's not a single team remaining that, is, that has faced any ounce of adversity more than we have. Because none of them, you know, uh, what is it, Bill Self, super established head coach, Jay Wright, super established head coach, Coach K, super established head coach, Hubert Davis, first year coach. One year ago today, Roy Williams stepped down and announced his retirement. We were questioning the direction of the program after, an, uh, you know, after an announcement like that. And here we are now in the final four. Um, there's just a bond between player and coach on this team that I don't think is rivaled by any team that's left. And I think that is the primary force that will drive us to a win tomorrow. Man. Well, I'm inspired. But we got to call up our uh, guest speaker of, uh, of the podcast. Um, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a gamble here because yeah, go for there, get, there's, get there's somebody that I want to try to call. I tried to call him two episodes ago. Let me see. Come on. No way, not not another episode. He's missing his chance. He's missing his chance. Thompson Sewell would probably sleep. Yeah. Wow. I want to call, call somebody that has a particular insight they have. Yeah, this oh would have been. This would have been. Jake. This would have. This would have been perfect if he would have picked up. Be interesting. Call, call wow. whoever. Turn it's your turn. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call. Uh, one of my. Well, I wonder if he's in school. It's Friday. I wonder if he's in school. We'll, we'll give him a call and see what happens. I do have my, a, I do have one more option Jake. should he not pick up. Let's see. We need it, we need it, we need it. We need to have lines ready. Who's next? Who's I, I've got... Uh, Alright, come on. I'm going to try. Jake's probably in I school. I can call my brother just because it'd be funny. Stupid. Call him out next. He if, might if use he, language, and, uh, but it would be funny. Need him to come through. No way. Are we over three? We better go over three. Yo. Yo, welcome to the Odd Pearl Podcast, Cam Bell. Welcome to the podcast, my brother. We're at the part where we call somebody up. We call somebody up. We try to get some special insight. Uh, we each we each have our our connections. I need I need your prediction for this game tomorrow when we walk into that arena in the Caesar Superdome and take on the Blue Devils. What do you have happening? Um. I'm a diehard Carolina fan, so I have my squad winning. Yes, sir. Um, I'll give you a score prediction of, say, 84-78. 84 said that is, that is insanely close to what we at this table have predicted. Now, well. what's going to be the deciding factor? That's the last thing we need. What's the deciding factor in this win for UNC? Free throws. Free throws. Mm, okay. I love that one. I love that one. I love that one. I love that one. The free throws is going to help in the long run. Love that one, love that one. Yeah, man. Well, that's awesome. I mean, that that that's crazy how close that was in terms of what we had highlighted as as keys. And I think the free throw the free throw battle is going to be tremendously important, uh, especially when guys have been missing. And it would give you no greater confidence if you see those fall. Uh, it'll, it'll help, and everything else will follow. So, yeah. Cam Bell, everyone. Our pro podcast prediction. Um, yes, sir. I appreciate you calling. Appreciate you picking up, my guy. Yes, sir. All right. Well, that's the podcast. Yeah, a strong prediction to end it out with. Go heel. Let's go, go heel. Keep it easy. <laughs>